modifying in a, in a very small way something that Jimmy said, in uh, not in what he prayed, but what he said um, concerning this Bible study. Uh, he was trying to exhort you to um, be a part, and, I, and, I, and that I'm uh, in wholehearted uh, agreement with. But he said something that I, I, I hope that you didn't hear. Perhaps you didn't hear and... and um, and maybe I'm making uh, uh, an alteration that I don't even need to make, but he, say, he, he was giving you motivations as to why to come, and, and, and he said to support the pastor. Well, gang, uh, please don't come to do that. Um, please don't come to support me. I, I, um, I, I'm not worthy of your support. Uh, that's not why I wish you were here, and I hope that you will see this as an essential part of your... But let, let me tell you why I, I, I would like to just add to what Jimmy's saying, because this is, this is the way I see it. And, um, and, and to, I love to tell this little story. I've used it a dozen times before. Poor Bob and Joanne Wood, they probably heard this thing uh, a dozen times. But um, imagine, if you will, for a moment that you're, in a, that you're a, uh, a young Marine recruit a uh, kind of a, you know, right out of high school, raw and, and green behind the ears. And, and uh, you've just been sent off to, um, to boot camp. And, and um, you know, Paris Island, uh, you know, some of you perhaps went there. It just, uh, just, just whatever it is, 18 weeks. What is it, Cindy? Cindy's got a Marine. It's only three weeks? Three months. Three months. Okay. Cindy has a Marine uh, for a son, and uh, so three months of just, you know, rough, basic training that just, you know, just pushes you to the absolute limit, both uh, physically and emotionally. And, and, uh, but yeah, they're going to make you a man. They're going to make you a Marine. So at the end of this three-month um, um, torturous journey, they have a, a final exam. The final exam comes to, you know, to, to see if you're going to move on to whatever it is that they move you on to after three months. But, uh, and so the, uh, the, uh, the drill instructor takes all these recruits uh, three months after a training, and they take them out to this field. And, um, and the guys are standing there waiting for their instructions, and the, uh, and the drill instructor says, uh, Gentlemen, you've seen this field before. And they say, Yes, sir, we've seen that field before. We've been here before because we've, we've trained right here on this field. And he said, Well... You know, we're going to do another training exercise right here on this field. Uh, you know, and they say, okay, uh, Sergeant, we can do it. We can do it. And, and he says, you remember those, those times that we've been out here on this field? And, and uh, you, um, you know, we've been, uh, we've been trying to teach you how to advance upon an enemy position. And, and, um, and, you know, there's been these things that have been shooting at you, you know, and there's been these things that have been blowing up and, um, you know, and trying to help you learn how to, you know, uh, to take over, to overtake the enemy. He said, yes, sir, yes, sir, we understand. He says, well, today we're going to do the same thing, but there's going to be one little change, one little brief modification in, uh, in this training exercise. Today, uh, gentlemen, the ammunition that has been being used, which you, as, as you well know, has not been live. Today, it is going to be the real thing. Real Live ammunition. And if you lift your head up, anyways, you're, you know, crawling on the ground and one of those things hits you, it's over for you. Because these are live bullets this time, gentlemen. These aren't firecrackers. No more cherry bombs here on this field. This is the, this is a real thing. 
landmines all out there, and I've taught you and trained you, and we want you to take that position. But know this, if you trip one of those wires, you're a goner. Marines are standing there, and they're saying, uh, okay, Sergeant, uh, but... Uh, you know, we've never we never experienced anything like this before. And and, and uh, how about this? Um, uh, could you could you possibly tell us? I mean, could you help us out here just a little bit? I mean, could you tell us where? I mean, could you possibly tell us where the line landmines are are are, are 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 where are their place out there? And the drill instructor looks at you and says, <laughs> "No way, no. That's part of the fun. That's part of the training. Now, go." So off you go. You're trying to get across that field and avoid all the landmines. Now, guys, the, reason, the, the, the point of that story is this. The reason I think you should come to every time the Bible is being taught is because we're in a landmine. I mean, we're in a, we're in a minefield, aren't we? And there is so much stuff out there that can blow us to bits. There's uh, parenting. Oh, my goodness. That is tough. You know, I was talking to a mother tonight whose, whose, um, whose child has just experienced something new in his relationship to a member of the opposite sex. And I thought, oh, landmines out there for parents, are there not? I was in a meeting today um, with, uh, with several pastors and another man who who said something to me that I'm, I'm telling you shook me to the core, and I came back here breathing smoke, trying to, okay, what can we do to help our, our, our teenagers? What, because this man said, um, and he, he has far more input than I, he said, uh, today the issue facing teenagers is not whether they'll have sex. The issue is what kind. Does that shake you up? That shook me up. I, and that um, this, uh, he was telling about how uh, Harvard is trying to recruit uh, uh, bright and, and, uh, and talented young high school seniors, uh, promising them that there is a transsexual dorm there on the campus of Harvard. Well, you know, when I went to school, I don't remember them having a transsexual dorm. And, and I don't remember there being the great emphasis upon, okay, which one of these am I going to choose? Landmines galore. Then there's marriage. Oh boy, is that is that tricky? Man, we uh, we went to the aisle thinking we had a love like nobody else's love that ever loved before. But uh, you know, then <laughs> six months after that, woo, man, I didn't know she felt that way, and and I didn't know that I could be that angry, and you know, and then there's business. Oh, my, uh, you know, ethics. I mean, he's thinking to blow you to smithereens if you trip the wrong one, if you head in the wrong direction. I mean, this is a complex world we live in, ladies and gentlemen. And the reason that I wish you would be here is because the only thing that I know that gives us a route through the minefield is this thing. I don't know of any. I don't know where else you're going to get it. You remember... Um, um, John chapter 6, and, and um, uh, Jesus has just, in fact, it's going to be my text Sunday morning. Jesus has just told them something about, they got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> and the crowd is, woo, I, you know, I'm no cannibal. I'm not leaving. I'm not sticking around. So they leave, and, and um, um, you know, Jesus kind of, it's almost with the pathos in his eyes. I, I, in, his, in his words, he says, uh, are you going to leave me too? 
You're going to turn and leave? The crowd just left. You're going to leave too? You remember what Peter said? Where in the world would we go? Because only you have words of life. I can't find words of life anyplace else. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, you're not going to find it on CNN. And you're not going to find it on the Fox News Network. And you're not going to find it on, you're not going to, you're not going to find it on Oprah. And you're not going to find it on Dr. Phil or whatever his name is. You're not going to find words of life. So, I mean, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I don't want, I want you to come here to support me. I'm here to support you. Because this is difficult. And it gets more difficult by the day. Because sin seems to take another leap forward. So, you know, I don't want you to come here and make me feel good. Golly gee, I feel plenty good. Kind of. Depends on whether I sleep at night or not. But, you know, please don't do that. You know, my my concern as a pastor is, really, I mean, my, my... I spoke to two men today, and my, heart's, my heart breaks for them. It really does. And, and, and by the way, my wife will be hearing about this at supper, but you won't. But my heart aches for these two men. And, and, I, and I've told you this before. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm standing right close to a cliff, and you're about three steps closer to the edge of the cliff. And, and you're just kind of dancing away. And I'm saying, listen, y'all need to move back away from that cliff some because, you know, you're going to fall over. Could you, could, you, could, you, could you take a too few steps away, back away from that cliff edge there? Because, you know, you're going to fall over and it's going to be a... Could, could you, and they just keep dancing. And all of a sudden, one misstep and boom. And I keep saying, come on, come on, step back. Don't get close over there. And that's what I feel like. I keep pleading with people, don't dance over there. It's going to hurt. They keep dancing. They keep falling. I keep falling. I mean, so guys, I hope you, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I, I, I would love to see this, our, 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 our study of the book of Romans just captivate your imaginations. But don't come to support me. I, you know... But, but know this much. The reason I'm teaching this thing is because I'm, I'm convinced that the only route, the only possibility that you and I have of getting across this minefield without getting blown to smithereens is by conforming our lives to the truth that's contained in this book. I, and, I, and I believe that with every fiber of my being. I, I can't tell you how. So that's why I'm teaching it. And, and very honestly, the subject of this particular portion of God's Word, Romans chapter 8, there is nothing more practical than knowing that there is no condemnation for me. There's nothing more practical than knowing how secure I am. So here we are in these, these gloriously uh, profound and intricate truths that are, that are commanding our attention. But they're, they're, and you say, well, come on, Jimmy, teach me how to run a Hewlett Packard computer or something. Or, you know, teach me how to, you know, get along with that woman. Or, you know, could you tell me something out about raising my kids? Yeah, we could do that. But, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing more important for you than to know at the base of your being that you're loved and that you're safe. There's nothing more vital than that. And maybe you don't know that. Maybe you don't sense that. Maybe you don't feel that. But ladies and gentlemen, when, when, the, when, the, when the rains come and the winds blow and the waters rise, you're going to want to know that in the midst of that storm, 
that you're safe. Even though the, you know, the clouds are dark. So that's all by way. I didn't plan to say any of that other than I I, I don't, I mean, Jimmy's motives are marvelously pure. But please, um, don't invite your friends to come so that Jimmy can be supported. Um, Y'all support me marvelously. I get a check twice a month. And, you know, my wife uh, gets her hair done about once every three or four days. And uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, sick. (laughs) It seems like that. (laughs) Okay. It's just made me apologize. It is not three or four days. It's at least six or eight. Uh, but I'm supported wonderfully. I have no complaints. I want to be here to to, to try and and as clearly and as and as accurately and as faithfully as I can teach you what God has said to you because there's nothing that you need more. There's nothing that you need more. There's nothing that you need more. You don't need a bigger 401k. You don't need uh, you don't need a bigger house. You don't need more clothes. You don't need uh, prettier nails. You don't need a new car. You don't need anything as much as you need to know what God has said to you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. There is no need that you have that is more than the one just to know what God has said to us. So that's why I'm here. I, and and I, I, I'm fortunate enough and, and blessed enough to get to teach this on a regular basis. But again, I, uh, sometimes the dancing goes on and the dancing uh, ends up at the bottom of the canyon. And, and um, so I, I hope you get my point. This is, there's a minefield. And, I, I, you know, when I hear things like I heard today about it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of which kind. I think, oh, my goodness. We've got to come back and triple our efforts. We've got to work harder we got to do something to help because this, is, this ain't easy. Um, it, you know, it, it ain't easy. We got Not only are you battling your own sinful inclinations, you're battling the world that doesn't understand you and the devil that despises you. And me too. So there you go. Um, um, bring your friends so that we can tell them how to get through the minefield. That's what we want to do. All right, let, let's go back and look at that Romans 8 now that we have only 25 more minutes. Um, I want to read you the first four verses. And by the way, let me, let me just tell you, I, I told you last week that I came and I, I had my little board up here and I, and I tried to draw you an outline. And then uh, because I told you that the week before that, uh, somebody had, had complained, Richard Loom had complained about, uh, you know, that I, I had lost everybody. And so, um, so I tried to come back and simplify things. Then I had another complaint. They said, well, we were sitting over here and you need to at least use a black marker and, and we can't see that board. So, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So now my, my latest effort is to, is to make an outline. I mean, a, a, a handout. Um, now, I didn't print but 50 of those things because I'm, I don't know that anybody ever wants one. But um, if this works, gosh, you know, we got plenty of white paper in there and uh, we, can, we, can, um, uh, we can print more things. But uh, if this will help clarify the issues, because that's, that, that's, that's the need is to be not um, obtuse, but, um, but to be uh, marvelously clear as you feed upon what God has said to you. Now, let, so let me read the first four verses, and we're going to get back to verse 3, and I'll tell you another problem we got. But uh, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If you would really like to know, um, if you if you really want to be uh, impressive, you can use the word pericope. Um, P-E-R-I-C-O-P-E, pericope, because that's what that is. That's a pericope. That's a, it's a paragraph, because um, you'll notice how verse 4 ends according to the, that is, uh, they, they walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. From verse 5 on, what Paul's going to do is gonna, he's going to describe for you life in the Spirit. Okay? That's what we're going to get to eventually. You know, I, I've also given up on trying to convince, uh, complete verses 1 through 11 before Christmas. So we're just going to take our time. But, um, but that's what's going to happen. The, the first four verses are somewhat of a, a pericope, a paragraph, a unit. And I, and I told you last week that basically that unit is comprised of two couplets. Couplet one is verses one and two. And couplet two is verses three and four. Basically, you get uh, the same thing stated, but in a, in a, in a, in a different way. In verses 1 and 2, and it's repeated in verses 3 and 4, but it's repeated in a different way. The theme, however, of, of uh, this entire chapter is that there is no condemnation. And what Paul is seeking to do is to enforce and, and make sure that, that, that the people of uh, the Christians in Rome understood that there is no condemnation. The reason that there is no condemnation, you can consult your outline. The reason that there's no condemnation, there's there's, there's two things. First of all, I am in Christ, um, which is stated in verse 1, that I'm in Christ, which means that there's no legal guilt, there's no legal claim on me. But as a result of my being in Christ, something occurs. What occurs, we're in verse 2 now, what occurs is that the law of the Spirit of life... The Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus has set me free from that other thing, that other life that I used to live. I've been set free from that, which is a reference to the whole life of the believer, which, of course, could be uh, termed our sanctification. If you wanted uh, a theological term for being in Christ, it would come under the rubric of justification. But having now been put in Christ by the work of the Spirit, I now have a life in the Spirit, which is the, my life of sanctification. That's verses 1 and 2. And I, as I said last week, that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough to lead the people of God to a, 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 a comfortable sense of assurance. But, you know, and uh, I, I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true in this room. I don't think it's true of, of the people seated here that we have that comfortable, confident assurance that we're safe. Well, that's, that's what I want to try to give you. But anyway, uh, uh, you, know, you know why we're so uncomfortable? is because we failed so much, dadgummit. I mean, uh, we blew it this, way, this evening on the way out here, didn't we? Here we're going to church, and, they, you know, that lady pulled in front of me, and, and uh, you know, I just cussed the heck out of her and, uh, you know, did some terrible things. And, you know, and, and, and it just, I, I find it difficult to think that I'm so, so safe when I do in such things that are still left over in me. Yeah, I'm sorry you did that, and I wish you'd stop it, and I wish I'd stop it, and, and you know, I wish we wouldn't do some of those things that, that embarrass the people of God and bring shame, you know, all that stuff, yeah. But understand this, as the, const- as the struggle continues, 
My struggle is still going on with the world, the flesh, and the devil, but it's going on without the fear of a condemnation. The reason that we, we can't quite get that is we keep looking at our performance. We keep looking at how, we've, how we're performing. And ladies and gentlemen, stop that. Because I'll tell you what, every time you lift up that rock to see what you're really like, you're going to find some squirmy little things under there, you know. Stop looking at your performance. There's another performance that you need to fix your attention upon, but it ain't yours. It's the completed work. It's the finished work. And so, uh, because we keep looking and, you know, navel-gazing our performance, we keep going through these periods of, oh, yeah, I feel good, like I'm everything's all right. Then, but no, 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 you know, because I did that. Oh, I did that. I came to church. And, and I didn't be good. And that's all looking in the wrong place, folks. Then you come to the second couplet. And basically, you're going to get the same things. You're going to get justification mentioned, and you're going to get, by the way, you're going to get it explained um, in, a, in a pretty full way in verse 3. But then before verse 3 is over, he's going to be right back talking about life. He's going to be right back talking about the life that, is in, that inevitably flows from being in Christ. And that's what, it's, what you find in verse 4. So what you had in the first couplet, you had in the second couplet. But you just have it stated differently. All right? So we, uh, now, let me, let me tell you about one of our other problems. One of our other problems is that we meet, one of, I said this last week, one of our problems is that we meet weekly. That's a problem. The, but one of the other problems is in a, in a study like this, there are things in the verse that are very important and very wonderful to look at, but they get us off track. I want to show you one. Uh, look at verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. That's what we talked about last week. God did. That's where we stopped. God did. I told you there was no saving knowledge of God without a relationship with Christ. I said there's no saving relationship. There's no saving knowledge of God apart from Christ. Um, for, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did. And here we go. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, guys, there's something important in there. Uh, but it gets us off the track. And it's this phrase or clause. I think, it's a, uh, I think it's a phrase. In the likeness of sinful flesh. That is a very important phrase. But it, it kind of, it takes us down a side road. You know what I mean? Steve Brown used to use that word all the time. It takes us down a side road and it gets us off the main thoroughfare. Because you see what Paul is saying there. And it's a piece of genius, folks. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That word likeness is critical. Because if Paul had simply said, he sent him in the flesh, somebody would be saying, well, he's a sinner like the rest of us. But yes, Jesus did indeed share flesh with us, but a flesh without sin. There was a, he only had a likeness of sinful flesh. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I've said this often. It is a whole lot easier for me to teach the deity of Christ from the New Testament than it is to teach his humanity. You know, all the cults, they reject that Jesus is God. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they don't believe that Jesus is God. And they, and they, they would go so far as to say the New, the New Testament doesn't even teach that, uh, that or doesn't even claim deity for Jesus. That's nonsense and that's easy to, to overturn. What isn't so easy to teach is that Jesus was man. 
I mean, it's easy to teach that he was divine. What's not easy to teach is that he was human. But here's a statement. Here's a statement about the incarnation that is very, very important. Jesus came in the likeness, but only in the likeness. He had flesh, but not sinful flesh. It was just the likeness. His nature was similar to that of us or, or to ours, but without the sin. He, he grew weary. He grew hungry. He endured pain and sorrow. All those things like flesh does, but it was only the likeness. <laughs> it was only the likeness of sinful flesh because it wasn't sinful. Oh, it was flesh. It just wasn't sinful flesh. Now, do you see that? My, my point is... That's an important point in that, that, that is what's, you know, tucked into that text. But we're off the subject. We're off the main thoroughfare. So let's go back. All right. Verse 3. What we looked at um, pretty much last week is we, we saw the, the, the impotency of the law. And so God did it. Um, why is it that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh? Well, look at the text. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Why did he come? On account of sin. Now, guys, let let me say real quickly, um, that's in my little outline right over here. Uh, You you see that A, in light of what the law couldn't do, God has done something. What what has he done? Well, he sent his son. He sent him in the, that's how he came, in the likeness of sinful flesh. But why did he come? To do what? And I want you to know that the Greek here is very difficult. Um, For instance, um, if you're reading from an NIV, uh, you're going to have these words. He came as a sin offering. If you're reading from a King James or a New King James, you're going to have the words on account of sin. I'm telling you, I looked at the Greek this morning and it, or this afternoon. It's very difficult. It's a, it's a conjunction and a preposition and the word sin. And you can see that the translators were having difficulty translating that because there's such a divergent view. But here's your two options. On account of sin, it's in the outline, or as a sin offering. Either one of those is, is I have to tell you that the one that's closest to the Greek is the one on account of sin that's in the King James. But we're just going to use the words, why did he come? On account of sin. He came to be a sin offering. Now, ladies and gentlemen, do you recognize that what I had just said is the overwhelming message of the New Testament? That is the central theme of the New Testament. He came to be a sin offering. Christ came to deliver me from sin by being an offering for it. That's the central message, ladies and gentlemen. That is the central message of the New Testament. Tucked right in there in verse 3. The... um, in fact, it is, it is reflective of the whole Old Testament sacrificial system. That is, Paul, this Jew, is saying he came to be a sin offering. And every well-respecting Jew would understand what Paul was referring to. That whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament did nothing but foreshadow what Christ would be. Now, whatever translation you like, that is a sin offering or an account of sin, here's the point. The problem is sin. 
Sin is the thing that, is, that stands between God and man. Sin. He came on account of sin. It's very interesting, too, in verse 3. If you'll notice, the word sin is repeated three times. Sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemns sin. Right in those, that, that, that 12, 15 words there. Sin mentioned three times. God punishes sin in Christ's human flesh. Now, um, you'll have to see that in the, the last few words of verse 3. On account of sin, there's a colon, he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? It was Christ's flesh. And what you, what you get here, ladies and gentlemen, in verse 3, is you, you see God judging his son so he can become the father of his enemies. He judges his own beloved, begotten son so that he can be the father of people who hate him. God condemns the son of his love so that he can forgive the children of his wrath. What kind of God would do that? What would move God to do that? The answer to that question, ladies and gentlemen, is, is wrapped up in who God is. What would move God to punish the son of his love so that he could forgive the sons of his wrath? The only way to answer that is to understand something of who he is. And, and don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, remember for whom he did that? He, he did that for rebels, for helpless rebels uh, to break this vicious cycle of sin he punishes sin in the flesh of his son so that he can establish a reconciled relationship with the sons of his wrath what moved him well the answer to that ladies and gentlemen is only found in who he is and I, I think you can, you could conclude pretty easily that the thing that we could land on is his love. I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the central message of the New Testament is something about what God did so that he could love. And I say to you, there's nothing more important than, than you knowing that you are loved. That you are finally, that you are completely, that you are eternally, that you are unmistakably loved. There's nothing more important than that. Um, I, I, I think, I, I think again, you know, you might want more sermons on self-image. But what you need to know is that the father of love poured out his wrath on the son of his love so that he could embrace the children of his wrath. Read the text with me again. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Um, now, that is, he didn't send his son to come and teach us. 
he, he didn't send his son to come and, and lead us in worship services. He sent his son to come and save us. He didn't send his son to go raise choirs. He sent his son to save. He sent his son to die. He did not send his son as a messenger. He sent his son as a substitute. A sin-bearing substitute. His sufferings were penal. That is, they were inflicted by a judge as the satisfaction of justice. And because justice has been served, ladies and gentlemen, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Because God has already condemned the sin in His Son. Maybe you've heard of the term vicarious. Well, there it is, right there in verse 3. That is, He punished Him for me. As a substitute, He punished, He poured out all that justice and judgment required and did it in His flesh. And because He has... Um, by faith, I become a participant and a benefactor of that grand work. Why would you ever think that you could now be condemned somehow? Let me show you something, and um, I hesitate to go further, but let me... Let me I want you to notice in verse 3, that is in the New King James, there is a colon after the word sin. Is that, is that true in all your translations? Is there a colon there? I didn't check that, but there's a colon. Now, you know that in the Greek language, in the Greek New Testament, there is no punctuation. There is no colon in the, New Testament, or in the, in the Greek New Testament. But here's the point. That, that which is after the colon is then made further confusing... Because it's broken up by the verse, by the versification. Because here's how this should read. He condemned sin in the flesh that or so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Do you see everything in verse 4 is to be attached to the last six words of verse 3. But unfortunately, because they come in another verse, it somewhat is separate in our mind. It's one sentence there, ladies and gentlemen. He condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Jesus' flesh. That the righteous requirement, or so that, uh, that is, how does Christ's death as our substitute enable the righteousness of the law to be fully met? That's what it says in verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met. It might be fulfilled. How does Christ's death as our substitute enable that to take place? Well, because he's a penal substitute. That is, he, he satisfies all that the law demands. Let me make this one quick statement and then we'll, then we'll quit for the night. But notice in verse 4 that the righteous requirement of the law. The law has righteous requirements. 
Not uh, sinful requirements, not uh, unjust requirements, not inappropriate requirements. It has righteous requirements. The law has rights. And what are the rights of the law? Well, number one, obedience is one of the rights that belong to law. And and a second right of the law is that there is a, a penalty to those who violate it. That's righteous. That's right for it to do. So, back to the question. How does Christ's death uh, as our substitute enable the righteous demands of the law to be fully met? He obeys it. And then he takes the penalty for the offenders of it. So everything that the law demands in terms of obedience and it's crying out for the penalty for those who have have violated it have been buried in his flesh. So that the law and all of its righteous requirements are fully met. By the sin-bearing substitute, whose name is Jesus. And the, the news that is so good, ladies and gentlemen, is that the benefits of that extraordinary work belong to anyone who have embraced him by faith. So if you want to start setting some standards as to what you need to do so this is going to all be yours, you missed it. You know, I remember Martin Lloyd-Jones saying something like this. Um, um, he, he asked the question, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm botching this, but something like this. Uh, are you confident that you're a Christian? Something like that. And the reply was, Well, I'm trying. If anything like that is somewhere in your understanding of the gospel, hear me. You missed it. And the reason that you are so up and down in your religious enjoyments is because you're still trying. Ladies and gentlemen, the benefits of this grand and glorious work belong to all who embrace him by faith. Justice is served in that the penal sacrifice of Christ has taken place and love is distributed. To all who will will embrace it. So God's justice was not in any way violated by his forgiving you and me. Far from violating his justice. He satisfied it fully in the flesh of Jesus Christ. My friends, that is the central message of the New Testament. And it's wrapped up right here in verses 3 and 4. Let's quit.
Our Father, I do pray that uh, there has been enough clarity for people to embrace one all over again the finality and the certainties that are ours in Christ Jesus. That we might not have to keep going to church so that we can try to be good enough. But that we might uh, head to the fellowship of God's people so that we can find out more about this God who loved the children of his wrath by punishing the son of his love. Oh God, forgive us that we are so unbelieving and um, by grace grant us fresh supplies of mercy as we as we come more to uh, grasp the beauties contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Good night. See you next week.